Thank you for tuning into the Shorts Text. I'm Lisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Lizzie Jelly, Virtual Engagement Librarian. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. But today we're going to be talking about librarian stereotypes and librarian fashion with our clerk, Mia. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Mia? Hi, I'm Mia Morganti. I'm one of the clerks here at Shorewood. I've been working here for about six months. I'm actually new to Wisconsin. I moved here from Colorado close to a year ago, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. Thanks. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you about librarian fashion. Absolutely. <laughs> so Mia came up with this idea because, you know, I've, I've reached out to different people at the library and was like, all right, anybody have ideas for the podcast, what would you like to talk about? And he was like, let's talk about librarian fashion and the stereotypes and that, like, you know, and it's something that I've thought about a bit and it was cool to, like, read more about it and, and really dig into the history of it. Yeah, so one of the first things that I came up with was sort of, why do we have this idea of what a librarian looks like? Like, mm-hmm. physically, what is this librarian wearing? And so, like, for you guys, obviously you are librarians, so your perception is a little bit skewed, but what would you say the general, like, when somebody thinks of a librarian, what's a librarian wearing? I would say, at least in my experience, people usually think we wear cardigans, uh, we have buns, we wear glasses, we usually wear very uh, clunky, flat uh, shoes. Um, What else? I think the shoes are a big one, like... All the librarian stereotypes that I've seen, it's very much like you're wearing kind of like crunchy shoes. Yeah. That makes any sense. <laughs> like they're real kind of big, clunky, very like sustainability oriented and generally not cute. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too of a lot, you know, like watching Ghostbusters when I was a kid and it's like, you know, the librarian's in a skirt and like, <laughs> and is, you know, elderly. A lot of times the stereotype is, you know, we're elderly and we're always shushing people. That's yeah. all we do is shush people all day long. <laughs> Order, nothing can be out of place, and lots of tweed. So much tweed. Yeah, so much tweed. tweed yes. Plaid, very like academic, like mm-hmm. academia, yeah. but like very prudish academia. Yeah, absolutely. And what's, like, I don't get out of my house much. Yeah. <laughs> Only books. <laughs> and what's funny is when you look up libra- like librarian look or like librarian fashion, you find all of these like Pinterest articles of like how to wear a librarian look uh-huh. and. Like, different high fashion brands like Gucci and Prada that have taken the librarian look and plan, like, high fashion lines around it. Like, Uh it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting how it's become more popular. It's also interesting, you know, so there's, like, the other side of the stereotype besides the prudish librarian. (laughs) There's the sexy librarian, you know, which has been popularized by things like pornography. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) And, like, you know... That look also, it's, it's weird how, like, there's a dichotomy between, you know, either we're at one extreme or we're at the other extreme. And, it's like, what, you know, has made it so that designers want to to make these fashions, you know? It's yeah. like, is it the sexy appeal or is it... <laughs> the elderly lady appeal. Elderly lady Are appeal. they both the same? Like, <laughs> is it the same? Different sides of the same coin. Yeah, the other, the third stereotype that I saw was... I guess you could call it a stereotype. I would say almost more of a pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like the hipster librarian. Mm -hmm. Like the blue-haired teen librarian who's all tatted up, Mm -hmm. but who still wears glasses and maybe a cardigan, but also like Doc Martens. Yeah, that was like the thing that like I know when I first was in grad school. So I was in grad school like 2006, 2007. And that was like everywhere. I was like, this is what librarians look like now. You know, I'm like, I don't have tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know. 
I do wear glasses, but I don't wear glasses on a daily basis. Like, it's just for driving. But, like, it's always, like, the chunky, Mm -hmm. like, the Buddy Holly glasses. And, um, yeah, like, a lot of them either looking like hipsters or looking like punk rockers. Oh, Um, absolutely. I see a lot of that. It's almost like the Miss Frizzle fashion kind of coming in. There's, like, the fun and funky children's librarian that's really made an appearance in library and fashion world. And teen librarian especially, there's, like, connotations that come with that. Sorry, Lisa. Yeah. But it's like, you know, fun and funky hair, all the Doc Martens everywhere. They're like, oh, that's a cool librarian. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting with all of those, though, is that it's still a white woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For all three of them. Still yeah. a white woman that where most people are visualizing, which, as we'll talk about later, is not the case. Yeah, for sure. We, um, we read some different articles that Mia shared with us. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how the... the look evolved yeah um, we can talk a little bit about that and why it came to be this this dowdy thing before it switched over to like the hipster thing yeah so a big part of it comes from where librarianship came from in the beginning so mm-hmm. like back in the days of like melville dewey and the founding of the american library association that was in like 1876 so oh. late victorian era and when librarianship emerged as a profession it was originally guys it was a male profession mm-hmm. However, that ended up changing because the idea of manhood changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it went from sort of this uh, gentility, very gentleman-like, to more of this idea of rugged individualism. Mm-hmm. And around the same time that shift was happening, that was also when women were taking over the library. Mm-hmm. Part of that was because libraries across the country realized that they could find very well-educated women who they could pay a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) And so thus, librarianship became a very female profession. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, when you think about female professions back then, it's like, women, you know, you worked until you got married, and then you stopped working, but then I feel like that kind of led into that librarian spinster thing, because it's like, oh, if you never get married, guess what you get to do for the rest of your life? What do we do with the women that are too smart to get married kind of thing? Or if you're working, that means you must not be married. And yeah. so it's like all librarians must therefore be single. Yeah. They, it's, that's how they are. Yeah. Um, and what emerged, you had these stereotypes of the male librarian was very, like, prudish and dowdy, like, very much like Melville Dewey. Mm-hmm. He was very much the, like, gentleman scholar type. Um, and he really fostered that ideal within the American Library Association, which ended up affecting libraries across the country. Mm. So you had this very prudish, dowdy male librarian, or as one of the articles um, refers to it, his sister, who's equally prudish and dowdy, <laughs> um, who then takes over all of the libraries. Yeah. Um, and those, that's all from an article called The Stereotype Stereotype that was originally published in a book called The Librarian Stereotype. Um, that article is by Gretchen Keir and Andrew Carlos. And it looks at where did the stereotype come from and why is it such a big deal? Like, why do we care so much? And why is it such a thing in the general public's minds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because it reminded me, like, when I was reading about the male librarians, I used to be a big Buffy fan when I was a oh, kid. And yes. it reminded me of Giles. And, like, Giles is so dowdy. But then I remember there's this one episode where we find out that Giles used to, like, ride a motorcycle and be, like, this yeah. wild guy. And he was, like, just, like, punk rock. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, like, the fact that that's so surprising, too. And, yeah, because like, like, that stereotype. It's like, librarians can't be cool. And he's yeah. like, oh, I've got a tattoo. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I have more than just tweet in my closet. I have a jacket, too. <laughs> yeah. 
I do think that some of the look might come from a slightly practical standpoint, though, if you mm. think about it. Absolutely. Like hair in a bun. We do a lot of bending over, and you don't want your hair falling in your face. Mm-hmm. Hardigan. The library is a chilly place, but sometimes <laughs> it's not. You want to have layers. <laughs> and same thing with, like, footwear. I know working here, I always, like, I would never wear heels or sneakers. Like, you need something with, like, a good, maybe slightly clunky sole on it because mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of standing and walking. Absolutely. I'm the weirdo who wears the Converse, so <laughs> I'm just, like, but they're flat shoes again. You know, I'm not going to wear heels to... But I know like librarians who do wear heels. That's the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Stereotypes. Stereotypes are like narrow us down into these these small little definitions. But like, you know, in reality, we're all so different, and we all dress in very different ways. And it's interesting because like the stereotypes of librarians go beyond just our fashion too. You know, it goes to like our political leanings mm-hmm. and to like you know what we're into as people and what we do with our free time and whether you know we are like in relationships or not and all this different stuff. And it's just tries to whittle us down to this tiny little thing. And it's like. We contain multitudes. <laughs> yes, that we do. We're very diverse. Librarians are from all over the place. And if you've ever been in a library school classroom, you know that we certainly don't all agree on so many things. Yeah, so it was interesting, too, because, like, you know, one of the things that that article touched on was um, the idea that males involved in the, in the profession automatically had to be queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, the fashion of the male librarian was also influenced by that. Um, and, again, that's a, that's a thing that I was like... I do know queer male librarians, but I also know a lot of straight male librarians. And I feel like librarianism, just like education, like elementary school teachers, like there's there are some male elementary school teachers. There's male, you know, children's librarians. Um, I think sometimes people are pushed away from going into those fields because of stereotypes and ideas that people might have of them because nobody wants to be think, thought of as like they're the pedophile or whatever because they're working with children, you know? And so, yeah. um, but... Just because you're a guy and you like working with children doesn't mean you're a pedophile. Like, and so. then also working with children is not innately a skill that all women have either. Right? Yeah, no. like, yeah, there are plenty of people, myself included, who aren't great at working with kids. Yet mm. I'm still a librarian, but certainly not a children's librarian. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the issue when you have professions that are feminized, where then it does become kind of like a little bit of a gatekeep moment mm-hmm. for men to enter that profession. Like, nursing was that way for so mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. where if a man was a nurse, like, it was immediately, like, he lost all masculinity mm-hmm. in certain people's viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have the same thing with, like, librarianship and teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I see this kind of, like, sorry, little women's and gender studies background coming in here, because <laughs> this was, like, my jam, my first semester of library school. We talk about the glass ceiling a lot for women, but for men, there's like a glass escalator. Mm-hmm. So when they enter a field like librarianship or even nursing, they're immediately thrust to the top mm-hmm. a lot quicker to get them into more like management roles that are more like fitting for ideals of like masculinity and what men should be doing is managing the women. So we see that even in like larger libraries than ours, mm-hmm. we see more men at the top of library positions. And even in like larger academic institutions, we see a lot of library directors are men and especially white men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about, you know, what the uh, fashion and stereotypes and, and all that have to do with, you know, being a white profession or not being a white profession. So, yeah, I like I personally am Latino. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting reading all these articles because it is true that the stereotypes are like. You are this, you know, everybody, everybody looks like this, everybody um, dresses like this and like 
I feel like coming into a profession like this, sometimes you feel like in order to fit into the profession, you have to dress a certain way or you have to be a certain way. But I feel like a lot of us find our own ways to express ourselves too. So, um, and I feel like that's true for whether, you know, you're a white woman or a queer woman or a, or a woman of color or a guy, you know, everybody has their, their ways of expressing themselves. Um, yeah, and you shared an article that like had a bunch of different people. Um, yeah, it was a really great article. It was based off of a book actually okay. um, by Kyle Cassidy and the book's called What a Librarian Looks Like. Uh-huh. And basically he went on a mission to find a librarian from every state. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was random. Like the one from West Virginia was somebody that he sat next to on an airplane. And he had been <laughs> looking for a librarian for West Virginia and here was one. And what you saw in that article though and in the book is that librarians are not just white women, and mm-hmm. they're definitely not just dowdy white women. You mm-hmm. had plenty of men, plenty of people of color, mm-hmm. um, plenty of queer and non-binary people, um, and then you also had you had some people who did embrace the librarian stereotype. You saw some cardigans and some glasses and mm-hmm. some buns. You also saw some guys in t-shirts and jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one library director who had this amazing, like, super chic, all-black ensemble. You can totally see her just, like, killing it with heels. Looked amazing. And that's she's yeah. known for that. She has a blog called The Librarian in Black. And so you just saw a real mix of all different types of people dressing all different types of ways. And so the book really was a good look at what librarianship and what librarians actually look like at this point in history. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it's like I feel like, or I know, that, like, groups of color are still vastly underrepresented in the field. Um, but you know, we are here and, um, I think that they're growing, but I think, you know, it's interesting when we looked at, at these articles, cause at the beginning of the 19th century, it's like when women took over librarianship, the wages went down. It seems like, you know, right now we're, go- we're in a place where a lot of positions are moving more towards part-time and less benefits and, you know, the profession now is working really hard to try and get more people of color involved. But, you know, a lot of people of color can't afford to work a job where you don't have benefits or you're just working part time. And, you know, I know personally when I went into this field, I was like, I don't want to work free part time jobs to like make a living. Like I was like, I want a full time job with benefits. <laughs> and um, it's interesting to see how that is. It's changing and how how the value of of what we do has changed over time and, and how it's influenced by who is performing the work. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point that you make there, Lisa, and something that's really um, evident during and post-pandemic as well. We mm-hmm. see a lot of places shrinking down and a lot of positions that were formerly full-time benefited library or librarian specifically positions are disappearing and being split into positions that are lower paid, fewer hours, and that creates a lot of barriers for, you know, there's a lot of education that goes into being a librarian, and a lot of us have mountains of students. Wait, that you I need a master's wait. degree. <laughs> Who knew you needed a, a master's degree, if not more than one master's degree, yeah. to be a librarian. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think, part of the stereotype is that a lot of people don't realize how educated librarians are and the kind of training that we have to do these jobs, and that it's more than just, you know, shushing all the five-year-olds who are reading a picture book in the corner. Yeah. We do a few other things. But it's interesting to watch this all kind of coincide together as the field is diversifying and actively recruiting more marginalized groups into the field. We're seeing this happen simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So it's both good and bad, like yeah. simultaneously really great to see more diversity in our field, but so frustrating to watch these full-time positions just evaporate. Yeah. And the education 
can be a barrier for a lot of marginalized groups entering the field as well. Like getting a master's degree is not easy. It takes a lot of time and it costs a lot of money and not everyone can afford or is able to do that Mm because it's what took me to my late 20s to enter the full-time workforce. And that's certainly a privilege that I was able to take that time and get educated and do that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that, you know, that necessarily one is causing the other, but, you know, I, I feel like it's frustrating having both things happen simultaneously. Absolutely. And both of those are definitely at play, even in my role. Like, I'm not a librarian. Mm. I don't have a master's degree. I'm a library worker. Mm. However, a lot of the struggles of library workers are the same as librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of our positions are part-time. I have rarely ever seen a full-time library worker position. Mm. Yeah, like clerks or exactly. shoppers. Or, and yeah. People also underestimate the level of education that you do need. It is less than a librarian. However, it's still a profession where you are dealing with people. Mm-hmm. You're helping with a lot of the runnings of the library. Mm-hmm. And, you know, library clerks and shelvers and pages do the majority of the circulation duties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the cataloging, mm-hmm. you're, you know, there's people who are the... Uh, our clerks are the people who put our books together. So, you know, the the barcodes that end up on our books and all the labels and all that stuff has to, somebody at the library has to do that. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that our clerks do. And yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different pieces involved in being mm-hmm. a clerk or being a shelver or being, you know, library assistant. Because we also have library assistants here. Um, there's a lot of technical skills involved. That is for sure. Yeah. And it's something, I think something that could totally be a profession. There's no reason why somebody couldn't do that full time. There's no reason it couldn't be a respected profession, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And that makes it difficult for people like me who, you know, because of various circumstances, can't go and get my master's degree mm-hmm. right now, um, but still wants to work in the library world, which of which there are a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially people from marginalized communities who would love to work in the library world. But the types of jobs that are available are really exclusionary. Mm-hmm. They're all part-time, they're all low-paid, and none of them have benefits. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know we used to have a shelver here who um, had applied for one of our clerk positions, and he ended up taking a position at MPL because it was, a like, a library assistant position, and he had a child and a wife, and he was, mm-hmm. uh, he was a black man, and he's like, I want to be able to provide for my family. And it's like, and working here 10 hours a week, was not going to cut it. Do that. Um, so, and that's understandable, you know, and it's like, and he was a great employee, but we ended up losing him to MPL because they were able to offer him more hours. And I, you know, it's, it's frustrating that that is the case with libraries and a lot of our funding and how our like positions are structured. And, you know, I understand from like budget standpoints that, you know, benefits cost money and salaries cost money and everything costs money. But at the same time, it's like if we want people who are providing good service, if we want people who are competent and who, you know, and if we want to do things like, you know, there's a lot of talk about diversifying libraries and and about representing our communities through the people that we work with, like we need to think about these things as well. Yeah, absolutely. If we want libraries to be better than average, then we need to be paying better than average. Mm -hmm. It's pretty disheartening when, you know, you work in a profession that is so known right now, at least for being, you know, trying to be inclusionary and trying, you know, being a good place to be working, Mm -hmm. and yet you make the same amount as somebody does in fast food. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's also, 
don't know, there's so much research that shows that like employees that feel happy, safe, supported, and aren't constantly worried about money are more likely to stay and more likely to do well at their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, this is just my personal opinion, but I'm like, fast food workers should also make more money because I'm just like, I work fast food and being a customer service, like, I mean, customer service, oh. Anybody who does customer service deserves to make a living wage. (laughs) I I take back all of my griping. Yeah, I worked retail for about three months, and I will never forget it. (laughs) It leaves marks, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit. So um, talking more about, uh, you know, stereotypes about what we do with our day. So a friend of mine sent me an article a few weeks ago, and it was this McSweeney's thing by a guy named John Howard Matthews, and it's called How Non-Librarians Imagine a Librarian's Typical Workday Goes. And so he kind of breaks down hour by hour what he thinks we do. And at first I was like, okay, this isn't bad, because, you know, he says, we wake up and we put on a cardigan, you know, we we uh, have tea and an English muffin while we read Shakespeare and listen to symphonies. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, okay. Like, sure, dude. Like, <laughs> maybe. maybe. I, I found it so funny. I felt like I was like simultaneously laughing and rolling my eyes at so much of this article because I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a stereotype. But some of it is like, wait, I do that actually. Yeah, yeah. some of it was so true. So like, you know, uh, the, the 7 a.m. you get into your 20-year-old Corolla. Um, <laughs> I think most of the people that work here do drive Toyotas. Maybe not Corollas necessarily, but we almost all just drive Toyotas. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, they had in there, like, feeding your cat named Foibles. Oh, yeah. I have a cat named Beatrix after Beatrix Potter. Oh, so there I was you like, go. Oh, okay, that's... That hits a little close to home. No, like, raise your hand if you don't have a pet that's named after a book in some yeah. way. All the hands are down. Like. Um, I have dogs, and my dogs are named after musicians. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Lisa's a fun and funky team librarian, so she's a little different. Huh? She is our resident hipster cool librarian. Oh, God, no. I have a cat named after a book. <laughs> um, and then, you know, talks a little bit about Giles from Buffy and, and like, it was, you know, it was cute because at one point, like, you know, he says that we all have names like Mrs. Ganderhoof and Hemshaw and Snippercase or whatever. Oh my gosh. And, you know, I thought, like, okay, I, literary-wise, like, I could see some of those names being things. But then, you know, then the ideas of what people think we do with our day. Like, nap time, shushing people, reading books. I'm like, what librarian actually gets to read a book at work? (laughs) I loved where it said, like, open a bag of Werther's classics. That is one stereotype. I don't know where that came from. I don't know either. Is it the old lady hard candy thing? I think it's the old lady hard candy thing, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I also loved how they were all, like, Miss something or other, and I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, there's misters. But, yeah, um, it's just interesting, you know, seeing... This is, you know, this is 2022, and this is what people still think of us. <laughs> I had a friend when I told them I worked at the library, and they knew, like, I'm not a librarian. I'm a clerk. I do the front of the house stuff. They said, oh, I would love to work at the library. It'd be so relaxing, just surrounded by all those books all the time. And I was like, yeah, you're physically surrounded by books, but that's not, I would not call this a relaxing job. But it was just, it was so funny that that, I was like, you, you know, that's not like, we don't read books all day, right? You know that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do, do think that. And I've, I've had the same exact comments. Mm-hmm. Um, most parties, when I go to a party and I don't know somebody and they ask me what I do for a living and I say I'm a librarian, um, I get the question, do you still use the Dewey Decimal System? Oh, yeah. Or a very bad joke about the Dewey Decimal System. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And they're usually like, oh, you know, Yeah. Same as you. I would love to be a librarian because it just must be so, mm-hmm. so relaxing and so great. I'm just like, 
especially before the pandemic, I was like, I'm a youth services librarian. Like, you come into our library after school, and it is a madhouse. I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. But um, I would not call it relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> I've also gotten a lot of comments like, oh, it must be so nice to have an easy job. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, well, I would love to tell you a little bit about what I do. But it's also, I think that's part of it, the misconceptions about what our job actually is mm-hmm. and what we are doing all day, if not petting our cats and eating where there's originals and taking naps. And shushing everybody. Yeah. Well, and telling everyone to be quiet, yes. 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 Yep. I think that goes along with feminized professions. A lot of people think, oh, you're a nurse? What do you, you get people water? Like, feminized professions, where we automatically assume it's less work, it's easier work, and mm-hmm. it's more of, like, a nurturing or mothering role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's also frustrating, like, because just feminized work, like, nurturing and mothering roles are a lot of work like you know it's so like taking work. care of a child is a lot of work like it's, it's not mm-hmm. easy like and there's so many people who are just like oh this is so yeah like oh you're a children's librarian how cute like you just <laughs> fun to play all day yeah, yeah and it's like um like I do get to play it is one thing that I love about my, my job like I get to like teach kids how to code but I have to learn how to code myself in order <laughs> to teach kids how to code you know, I get to teach kids how to make circuits or how to do, you know, all these different things. Um, but again, it's all stuff that while I'm at work, I learn how to do myself. And then I have to figure out a way to teach it to 10 to 15 children who are usually half of them talking to each other. Some of them talking to me, some of them asking questions. You know, you've got chaos going on in a room. And yeah, you know, that's that's a big part of, of my job. Another big part of our jobs is like, book selection. We spend a lot of time, you know, looking at reviews and and ordering books and things like that. Um, But then we each have our own individual things too. Like, you know, I'm I'm the teen librarian, but Lizzie's our our social media and virtual engagement librarian. So I do all kinds of just wild stuff, wild, disparate stuff. But I think it's also part of it when we think about the librarian degree, it's not just a library science degree, it's a library and information science Mm -hmm. degree. And I think there's a lot of invisibility as to the amount of data that we work with and the statistics that we work Mm -hmm. with. Like, so much of my day is looking at data, doing, like, online database maintenance, and doing really technological stuff in a profession that is stereotyped as being very, like, technophobic Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Whereas we embrace technology all over the place in the library and in our everyday jobs. Like, 90% of my day is technology-based. Yeah, like, this year um, and last year, one of the things that I've done is virtual visits with the classes, like, the sixth grade classes from the schools here to teach them about research um, doing virtual research through our databases and teaching them about all the different databases that we have and how to do Boolean searches and, you know, yeah. and what's credible information versus what's not credible information and how to tell, you know, apart good sources from bad sources and all of that sort of thing. And, like, you know, that's somebody has to do that and people don't realize, like, oh, yeah, it's usually your librarian who's teaching research methods or who's teaching, you know, different technical skills like that as well. Or, like, we spend a lot of time here helping people print out tax forms. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time helping people fill out job applications, fill out, you know, unemployment paperwork. And a lot of, there's you know, there's this idea that, that everybody in this day and age has a computer or a smartphone. And that is not true. Um, and we have a lot of folks that come in here that do not have the technical skills to do this stuff. And people are like, oh, well, that all must be elderly folks. And it's like, no, there's people my age. There's oh, people younger ages. than me. There's people, you know who are in their teens who don't know what they're doing and I have to help them do stuff because they don't know and that's our role here. 
Um, absolutely. And it really kind of breaks that assumption of like, you know, the digital native generation, because it's mm. certainly not all of them, because to access to technology is a privilege in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And that's one of the main things that we do as a library is offer access to a lot of those technologies that people may or may not have at home. Mm-hmm. And we'll sit down and help people learn how to use their iPad, how to get their ebooks figured out, or sit and how to like print things from their phone to our printer, like a lot of these really kind of hyper specific technological situations that come up and that's a lot of what we end up doing yeah. and even our clerks do it like oh, i've absolutely. seen so many clerks help people scan things on our scanner and like that's, make photocopies yeah that's a huge part of our job and that's one of the things that whenever people find out i work in a library a lot of times we'll get like libraries still exist do people still go to those and they're usually shocked to find out that so much of our job is not about books mm-hmm. it's about information and services and community programs And that touches, you know, those goals touch every member of the library. Mm -hmm. Even as a clerk, I'm helping people with technological things. I'm helping with, you know, the dissemination of information about our programs and Mm -hmm. various things like that. And so really a library, we don't serve books. We serve the community. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. All right. So is there anything that you all wanted to add? Otherwise, we can talk about some books that we've been reading. Cool. That was great. Thanks, Mia, for bringing (laughs) this up. That was awesome. Thanks for talking about it with me. All right, so Mia, what have you been reading recently that you, or what are you looking forward to? So I just finished reading the newest release by one of my favorite authors, Ruta Septis. She's a young adult author. Mm-hmm. She writes the most amazing historical fiction that is set in times and places that normally you would never read a book about. Mm-hmm. Like her latest book called I Must Betray You takes place in 1980s Romania, specifically about the overthrow of communism there. Okay. And Romania was one of the, I had no idea about this until I read the book, but Romania was one of the last places to be, you know, one of the last links in the Iron Curtain. Uh-huh. Um, it was a phenomenal story. And then I'm really looking forward to The Maid by Nina Prose. I have it on hold. I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> we don't get to jump hold lines. Yeah. <laughs> we Another here. misconception. Yeah. We don't actually get the books first. No. We have to wait like everyone else. <laughs> but I'm super excited for that. It is a, it's supposed to be like a somewhat humorous mystery, but it features, from what I've heard, um, not explicitly, but pretty impl- implicitly features a neurodivergent main character, specifically an autistic woman, woman which is hard to find. Mm-hmm. What about you, Lisa? What are you uh, to? So the most recent thing that I just finished was called Darius the Great is Not Okay, and it's also a young adult novel by Adib Karam. Um, and this came out a couple of years ago, and I totally slept on this, and I was like, why did I wait so long to read this book? Um, it is so good. It is about Darius Kellner. He is 15, and he is half Persian and half American. Um, his mom's from Iran originally, and uh, they find out that his grandpa has a brain tumor, and he's never been to Iran but he and his family end up going to Iran for like a month or so in order to visit his grandpa so that they can, he and his sister can meet him before he, he passes away. And so, the, so he gets to learn a bit about his, his, you know, Iranian family and about, you know, what life is like in Iran. He meets this guy named Sarab and they become friends. And, um, but he also suffers from depression. And a lot of the book deals with how he, how he sees the world um, you know, what his depression is like, how he deals with his depression. And I thought it was really powerful. And it, as somebody who um, is also mixed, like, it really spoke to me because I remember, you know, just like him as a kid, feeling like I was not of one culture or the other. And that's something that he talks about a lot in the book. And, like, 
yeah, it was like, I feel like now that there's a lot more of us mixed kids, like, I feel like if you're a mixed kid, you definitely need to pick up this book. <laughs> but anybody should read this book because it's really good. Um, and it's a, it's a quick read. I listened to it. I read that a couple years ago. It is phenomenal also. I loved how, like, how much he loves tea. <laughs> it was just a great little mini subplot in there. But yeah, it touched on so many things of, like, belonging and masculinity and mental illness and how you talk about mental illness mm-hmm. with people from different cultures mm-hmm. and different cultures' responses to mental illness. Um, yeah, fantastic book. Mm-hmm. How about you, Lizzie? Oh, gosh. Well, nobody panic, but I actually read a book that wasn't a romance. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I am feeling okay. (laughs) But I read the highly anticipated book called The Department of Rare Books and Special Collections by Eva Jurczyk. She's also a librarian, which is really cool, and it's set in Canada, which I also thought was really neat. follows an assistant library director named Liesl as she's called back from sabbatical when her boss suddenly, like, falls sick, goes into a coma, and... She comes into a library that's missing a bunch of super rare books, and like a week later, a librarian goes missing, and she's there as everything's just crumbling around her, doing her best to figure out what happened, what's going on, while like, this is at a university library, so like the president of the university is like, don't call the cops, it'll be a scandal, and everyone's telling her she's like handling it wrong, and she's like trying to investigate her coworkers that she's known for like 30 years, and it's... So stressful to read, actually. But it was also really cool because it offered a really, like, intimate view of what it's like to work in a special library or, like, in archives and special collections because it is different Mm -hmm. than a public library. And it's a very, like, a part of librarianship that's really shrouded in mystery to a Mm -hmm. lot of people because not everyone gets to see, like, the bowels of the archives Uh filled with, like, books just, like, unceremoniously stacked on a shelf in a freezer. Um, So it was super cool and filled with, like, a lot of, like, scandal and secrets and, like, every page I was like, oh, my gosh oh my gosh it just kept getting deeper and like as a normal romance person where everything like works out perfectly I was like this isn't gonna end up okay is it (laughs) and it it didn't in some ways but in some ways like it wrapped up the way it needed to Uh but I highly recommend it for librarians and library lovers alike it's just a really cool look at like the interpersonal workings of a library team yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we were talking, like, I feel like our lens today, as we talked about this stuff, was more a public library lens. I know that there are various types of librarianship. There's archivists, there's, you know, uh, corporate librarians, there's oh, university absolutely. librarians, there's all sorts of different librarians. So um, this is just our our little piece of the puzzle. <laughs> our slice of the pie. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for uh, coming on the show, Mia, and for sharing the resources with us and talking about librarian stereotypes. Thank you for having me. I greatly enjoyed it. And now for some library events. We have lots of great things in store for you this March. For adults, our AM Book Club meets on Thursday, March 17th, and they will be reading the 2022 Shorewood Reads pick, The Coyotes of Carthage by Stephen Wright. Drop-in help for job seekers from the Job Center of Wisconsin will be available on Wednesday, March 9th at the library, and adult winter reading wraps up on Friday, March 18th. A representative from the DNR will also be giving a virtual talk about coyotes on Wednesday, March 30th as part of Shorewood Reads 2022. For teens this month, they have a teen advisory board meeting on Tuesday, March 29th, and children and families can expect a family fun night to go kit on Wednesday, March 8th. Rhyme and Read Lapsit continues on Tuesdays this month. Pre-registration is required and is available on our website or via phone. Art Cart To Go continues every Wednesday this month, and Storytime continues on Thursdays this month. 
Pre-registration is required for Storytime as well, and you can register online or via phone at the library. As always, if you have any questions or comments for your hosts, you can email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening and be well. Shorewood Stacks is written and recorded by Lisa Quintero and Lizzie Jelly for the Shorewood Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found on Incompetech.com.